Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Iowa Capital Dispatch for November 17th, 2023. I'm your reader, Stephen Gazier. Ag and Environment, Capital Clicks. Corn and Soybean Harvests are Almost Finished. By Jared Strong, November 13th, 2023. Iowa's soybean harvest is, quote, nearly complete, end quote, and about 94% of the state's corn crop has been gathered from fields, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. That is nearly 10 days ahead of the five-year average for both crops, which matured more quickly this growing season because of drought and hot temperatures. Last week was more of the same. The state averaged about 7 degrees above normal and had almost no rain. Quote, the unseasonably warm and dry weather this past week offered Iowa farmers another suitable stretch to finish up harvest and tackle other farm work, said Mike Nag, the state's agriculture secretary. If the corn harvest continues at last week's pace, it will also be nearly complete by this week's end. Even though the percentage of unharvested corn is relatively small at 6%, that figure still represents a massive area because of the millions of acres that are planted each year in Iowa. About 750,000 acres were yet to be harvested at the start of this week. Ag and Environment Dairy Farm Might Face Enhanced Penalties for Repeated Manure Violations By Jared Strong, November 14, 2023 A northeast Iowa dairy farm that has repeatedly leaked manure-contaminated water onto neighboring properties and into a stream during the past five years might face stiffer penalties than what state regulators commonly impose. After two more such incidents this year at Regan Crest Holsteins near Wakan, the Iowa Department of Natural Resources recently referred the violations to the state attorney general's office, which can seek fines in court that exceed the $10,000 limit of what the DNR can render administratively. Quote, it's a sensitive area up there, said Brian Jurgensen, a senior DNR environmental specialist who noted the porous and hilly terrain of Allamackie County and the department's repeated efforts to prevent manure discharges from the site. We've had those numerous bills. It's not that we're throwing our hands up or anything, but we felt it was appropriate at this point to take this a step higher. The DNR's investigations into manure spills can result in violation notices and administrative fines, especially if manure reaches a waterway. The incidents are infrequently referred to the Attorney General's Office for potential litigation. DNR records show three other manure-related referrals to the office in the past decade that involved other livestock producers. Those litigations resulted in fines of $46,000, $23,000, and 15000 according to court records. State law limits the DNR's administrative fines to $10,000, but livestock producers can also be forced to pay restitution to the state for fish kills that can total many thousands of dollars more. The regulatory troubles for Regan Crest began in 2018 after an expansion and the installation of a new manure pumping system, according to DNR records. The system is meant to move manure from cattle confinement buildings to outdoor storage basins. In February 2018, someone made an anonymous complaint to the DNR that manure from the site had flowed onto a neighboring property and into a ravine, but didn't go into a waterway, DNR records show. Bill Regan, who owns the facility, told the department that the manure release was the result of a clog in the pumping system that he attributed to, quote, improper use, end quote, of that system by his employees. 
An inspection of the site later that month by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency found that the size of the operation, about 990 dairy cattle, 260 immature dairy cattle, and 16 beef cattle, meant that it was operating as a large concentrated animal confinement operation. As such, it was required to prevent manure-laden stormwater from going into waterways. The EPA gave Regencrest three options. Permanently eliminate all pollutant discharges, obtain a permit that would govern the discharges, or reduce the size of the herd to fewer than 700 cattle. None of that has happened since, according to DNR records. A primary concern is an open, outdoor feedlot that is part of the facility that has been used to raise calves and lacks barriers to keep stormwater from flowing off-site. Twice more in 2018, there were clogs in the manure system that were attributed to employee errors that caused manure discharges onto neighboring properties. And during an inspection that summer, the DNR noted no stormwater controls had been installed for the open feedlot. A nearby livestock producer reported that, quote, cattle in a ravine below the operation refused to drink its water due to contaminants, end quote. A DNR inspection in 2020 noted that the open feedlot still had the potential to contaminate the ravine, which can flow to a nearby waterway. Quote, the owner was informed to make sure any runoff from this area is controlled and to make sure all of the material has been removed and to no longer use this area to store any material that may result in a discharge to a water source, a DNR inspection report said. Citing the 2018 violations, the DNR fined Regencrest $1,500 last year. Then, in February 2023, the DNR investigated a complaint that contaminated water was flowing from the open feedlot into the ravine and found that the contamination had reached a tributary of nearby Jones Creek. The department issued another violation notice to Regencrest. The final documented incident was in July 2023, when a Regencrest employee activated the manure transfer system, but didn't realize for about half hour that part of the system had failed and was leaking manure, which flowed into another ravine and the creek tributary. The DNR referred the matter to the Attorney General's office in October. The status of that referral is unclear because the office did not respond to a request to comment for this article. Regan declined to comment. DNR records show Regencrest has developed training programs for its employees to help prevent future spills and has taken some steps to prevent spills from traveling through the underground tiling. Ag and Environment Capital Clicks Council Bluffs is discharging untreated wastewater into Missouri River by Jared Strong November 14, 2023. A western Iowa city will divert millions of gallons of untreated wastewater into the Missouri River for up to 10 days as it works to repair a broken sewer line, according to the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. The damaged sewer main in Council Bluffs was recently discovered when someone noticed wet soil in an area that was otherwise dry near Interstate Highway 80, said Wendy Whitrock, a senior environmental specialist for the DNR. It's not yet clear what might have caused the leak. The city began discharging wastewater into the river early Tuesday morning at a rate of about 4 million gallons per day. The DNR has advised people to avoid the river downstream until the sewer line is repaired, but Whitrock said the effects of the wastewater on the river should be negligible. The Missouri River is flowing at a rate of about 4 million gallons every 15 seconds, according to U.S. Geological Survey data. Council Bluffs is Iowa's 10th largest city with about 62,000 people. 
The wastewater being released into the river is little more than half of the amount the city processes each day at its water pollution control plant, according to the city's website. A spokesperson for the city did not immediately respond to a request to comment for this article. There was no other feasible option to store or dispose of the wastewater during the repair work, Whitrock said. There are no downstream cities in Iowa or Nebraska that use the river as a source of drinking water, she said. Education Universities respond to border regions' diversity and inclusion recommendations. By Brooklyn Tracy, November 14, 2023. Iowa's regent universities are preparing groups to review their own diversity, equity, and inclusion programming and respond to recommendations made by an Iowa Board of Regents study group pending their approval by the full board this week. The Iowa Board of Regents study group, made up of Regents David Barker, Jim Lindenmeyer, and Greta Rouse, spent the past six months reviewing the public university's diversity, equity, and inclusion offices and programs. The group's report, released last week ahead of the board's November 15th, 16th meeting at the University of Northern Iowa, contains 10 recommendations calling for changes to DEI programming that include changing or eliminating, quote, unnecessary, end quote, DEI functions and responsibilities, and working to expand diversity of viewpoints and philosophies on campus. In the report, the study group said that the universities should share updates on their plans at the board's April 2024 meeting. Representatives from each university will form groups to respond to these recommendations, while keeping the programming that a majority of DEI study respondents called, quote, critically important. Quote, the universities have been collaborative and provided feedback throughout the process, Regents spokesperson Josh Lehman said. Iowa State University. According to a statement signed by Iowa State University President Wendy Winterstein, Senior Vice President and Provost Jonathan Wickert, and Senior Vice President for Student Affairs Toya Younger, Senior university leaders have worked with the study group to give information, address questions, and, quote, advocate for the important work being done by our faculty and staff to support all of our students, end quote. After the report is approved, the university will form an internal advisory group to work with leaders and gather input on how to respond to the recommendations while ensuring academic success and making the university a welcoming place for all students. Quote, Iowa State University was founded on the ideal that higher education should be open to all, regardless of race, gender, or socioeconomic status, the administration said in a statement. As we work to address the board's recommendations, our university remains committed to this ideal and to supporting the success of all students, faculty, and staff. University of Iowa The University of Iowa will begin implementing the study group's recommendations after board approval according to a letter and FAQ posted on the university's diversity, equity, and inclusion website page and signed by Vice President for External Relations and Senior Advisor to the President Peter Mathis and Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Executive Officer and Associate Vice President Liz Tovar. After the November board meeting, the university will create a task force led by Tovar to evaluate its Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and all other diversity and inclusion efforts on campus. The task force will give recommendations to the University of Iowa President Barbara Wilson and Provost Kevin Craigle in March 2024, and provide the Board of Regents with a plan in April. 
the task force will work to, quote, find an efficient and effective model for the delivery of the activities and resources that our campus needs, end quote, while ensuring the DEI's division's efforts are put to meeting accreditation and compliance standards and supporting students, faculty, and staff. Changes will be made, the statement said, but in collaboration with campus leaders. There are more than two dozen federal requirements, accreditation standards, and research stipulations that mandate diversity and inclusion-related programming, the statement said, including its NCAA membership. Quote, failure to comply with these standards is not an option, the statement said. The statement acknowledged in the statement that students, faculty, and staff likely have many questions as to how this will impact the university's ability to, quote, provide a welcoming and inclusive campus, end quote, and assured that the university's DEI office and programming are not being shut down. Quote, we view this as an opportunity to align the remarkable work done on our campus and to ensure we maintain the compliance and accreditation standards that support the success of our students, faculty, and staff, the letter stated. Diversity and inclusion are important to the campus, and our role is critical in preparing our students to become global society and economy leaders. University of Northern Iowa The University of Northern Iowa Director of University Relations, Pete Morris, said the university will form an advisory group similar to that of Iowa State University and the University of Iowa. While all the details of the group have not been finalized, Morris said the university's approach will align with the other regent universities. Healthcare, Justice, Capital Clicks, Settlement Negotiations Reported in UIHC Patient Privacy Lawsuit by Clark Kaufman, November 14, 2023. The University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics is in settlement negotiations with a woman who alleges the hospital shared confidential patient information with Facebook. In April, lawyers for Eileen Yisley filed suit against UI. H.C. in federal court for the alleged, quote, intentional, reckless, and or negligent disclosure, end quote, of confidential medical information to the social media giant Facebook. The lawsuit, which seeks class action status to represent a broad array of patients, alleges that UIHC manages or controls two websites that it encourages individuals to use for booking medical appointments, locating physicians and treatment facilities, communicating medical symptoms, procuring information on medical conditions and treatment options, and signing up for events and classes. According to the lawsuit, UIHC installed on those websites two sets of computer code that tracks the online activity of people as they interact with those particular websites. Information about that activity is allegedly shared with Facebook and linked to that individual's personal Facebook account. Facebook, in turn, has allegedly sold that information to third-party marketers who can then target the individual's Facebook pages with ads tailored to their medical issues. The lawsuit claims UIHC installed the computer coding, copies of which are included in the plaintiff's petition, for marketing purposes in an effort to bolster its profits. In response to the allegations, the University of Iowa HealthCare released a written statement that said, quote, University of Iowa HealthCare is committed to protecting patient privacy. We do not share protected health information of our patients with Meta or Facebook. On October 18th, a judge granted UIHC's motion to dismiss the case, but specifically allowed for the filing of an amended complaint within 14 days. Yisley's lawyers then obtained an extension on that deadline, allowing for the filing of a new complaint on or before November 15th. 
quote, the parties have engaged in limited settlement discussions and want the opportunity to explore settlement options further before the expiration of the plaintiff's deadline, Yaisley's lawyers told the court. Criminal justice and policing. Justice. Lawsuit over, quote, authorized, end quote, courthouse burglary bounces back to state court. Federal judge dismisses constitutional claim over arrest. By Clark Kaufman, November 14, 2023. A judge has dismissed a federal lawsuit brought by security experts who were arrested while conducting a state-authorized break-in at the Dallas County Courthouse in 2019. The judge found that the security experts had failed to prove they had a, quote, constitutional right not to be arrested, end quote, given the unique circumstances surrounding the break-in. The dismissal, however, doesn't mark an end to litigation, as the judge remanded other significant portions of the case back to state court, where it was first filed in July 2021. The lawsuit was initiated by Gary DiMercurio and Justin Wynn, who were arrested and charged with burglary and possession of burglary tools shortly after they entered the Dallas County Courthouse in the early morning hours of September 11, 2019. At the time, the two men were employed by the Colorado-based cybersecurity company Coalfire Labs, which was under contract with the Iowa Judicial Branch to analyze the security of the state's court system. Their arrest sparked controversy and complaints from state lawmakers that the Judicial Branch had hired Coalfire to commit crimes, placing law enforcement officers and others at risk. Mark Cady, then the Iowa Supreme Court's Chief Justice, apologized to lawmakers for the incident, saying it had diminished, quote, public trust and confidence in the court system, end quote. At the time, judicial branch officials said they had not intended to authorize coal fire to physically break into buildings or enter facilities outside normal business hours. But in their subsequent lawsuit against Dallas County and Sheriff Chad Leonard, Wynn and DiMercurio asserted that their contract specifically called for, quote, physical attacks, end quote, on buildings, including lockpicking and physical, quote, penetration, end quote, of the premises. Coalfire's contract, they alleged, called for them to test security at the Iowa Judicial Building, Dallas County Courthouse, Polk County Courthouse, the Des Moines Juvenile Justice Center, and other buildings. The two say that after they successfully breached security at the Iowa Judicial Building, they left a business card behind as planned, and were called the next morning by a judicial branch worker who congratulated them for having successfully entered the building undetected. Within a few days of that incident, on September 11, 2019, the two men went to the Dallas County Courthouse shortly after midnight and found one of the doors to the building unlocked. The two men allege they locked that door and then began the process of trying to break in undetected. They allege that while in the building, they intentionally tripped an alarm. County deputies arrived on the scene and when and DiMercurio presented them with what was euphemistically called a, quote, get out of jail free letter, end quote from the state court administrator, explaining the work they were hired to conduct should they face any questioning by law enforcement. According to the lawsuit, the deputies were satisfied with the letter and told Wynn and Dean Mercurio they could leave. Before they could, the two men allege, Sheriff Leonard arrived and ordered his deputies to arrest the two. Wynn and Dean Mercurio were charged with burglary and possession of burglary tools. Their property was seized, and they were jailed for roughly 20 hours before being released. The charges were later reduced to trespassing and then dropped altogether. In July 2021, 
Wynn and Dean Mercurio sued the county and the sheriff in Dallas County District Court, alleging false arrest, abuse of process, defamation, intentional affliction of emotional distress, and malicious prosecution. In May 2022, the case was moved from Dallas County to Polk County, and in May 2023, it was moved to U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Iowa. The switch to federal court sought to take advantage of a federal statute that allows individuals to sue for civil rights and constitutional violations, government employees whose actions were controlled by state law. However, U.S. District Judge Stephen H. Locker ruled recently that the unique circumstances of the case mean that it cannot proceed in federal court on the constitutional rights issue. Locker said that while he was inclined to agree with Wynn and Dean Mercurio that the Iowa Judicial Branch has the authority to control access to courthouse throughout the state, the extent to which the Judicial Branch can exercise such control independently of other government officials, such as the county sheriff, is not clear. Locker found that the plaintiffs had failed to present a case that demonstrated the rights they were alleged were violated were clearly established under the law. Quote, the situation here layers two unusual sets of facts on top of one another, the first involving the surreptitious break-in at midnight, and the second involving a jurisdictional dispute over who has the right to authorize entry to a county courthouse, Locker ruled. Plaintiffs cannot, as a matter of law, prove they had a clearly established constitutional right not to be arrested in these circumstances. Locker remanded the remainder of the case, including the claims for false arrests, abuse of process, defamation, and intentional affliction of emotional distress, to Iowa State Court without addressing the merits of those claims. The case is now set for trial in state court in May 2024, but the jurisdictional changes have resulted in delays, and the two sides have yet to complete discovery and depositions in the matter. The county is pushing for a continuance, and this week the plaintiffs informed the court they would not object to a delay that would result in a trial date between August and October 2024. Over the past three years, Dallas County has argued in state court that the agreement between Coal Fire and the Iowa Judicial Branch was made, quote, without any input or knowledge of Dallas County, its sheriff, or any of its agents. In fact, the agreement specified local law enforcement or security personnel were not to be notified in advance of the testing to be performed. The county has also argued that the state court administrator had no, quote, authority to grant permission to enter a county-owned courthouse, end quote. And because of that, there is, quote, no set of facts showing any unlawfulness, end quote, in the arrest of Wynn and Dean Mercurio. Criminal Justice and Policing Justice Capital Clicks Iowa Woman Sues Two County Sheriffs Over Traffic Stop By Clark Kaufman, November 10, 2023 A central Iowa woman is suing the sheriffs of Boone County and Story County for alleged civil rights violations stemming from a traffic stop. Tina Marie Myers, 56, of Boone, alleges that on February 24, 2022, she was driving a Dodge Dakota truck along Mammy Eisenhower Drive in Boone after dropping off Girl Scout cookies at a friend's home when Sergeant Nicholas Hochberger of the Story County Sheriff's Office and Marshal Moore of the Boone Police Department began following her vehicle. The officers allegedly pulled over Myers due to a cracked taillight and a snow-covered license plate. Hochberger initially told Myers he'd be writing her two warnings, while Deputy Nate Benjamin of the Boone County Sheriff's Office deployed a police dog to check the truck. The lawsuit claims Benjamin 
falsely stated the dog signaled the presence of narcotics, and Myers was ordered to sit in the back of a police car while deputies took her purse and placed it in the front seat of the car. After a search of the truck failed to produce any narcotics, officers searched Myers' purse and found what they believed to be methamphetamine, the lawsuit states. The lawsuit claims Benjamin, Hochberger, and Moore searched Myers' truck and purse without probable cause, and then charged her with one count of a controlled substance violation. After Myers' attorney filed a motion to suppress evidence from the traffic stop, the Boone County Attorney's Office filed a motion to dismiss the case, which was granted by a judge. The lawsuit, filed in federal court, accuses Benjamin, Hochberger, and Moore of false arrest, and accuses Story County, Boone County, and the City of Boone of negligent training and supervision. The defendants have yet to file a response to the allegations. Education, Governments and Politics, Capital Clicks Iowa lawmakers reject invitation to Grinnell College, citing pro-Palestine activity on campus. By Brooklyn Drazy, November 15, 2023. Eight Iowa lawmakers have rejected an invitation from Grinnell College, citing their disagreement with the college's response to pro-Palestine protests on campus. In a November 13th letter signed by State Representatives Barb Niff McCullough, Austin Harris, Dean Fisher, John Dunwell, Helena Hayes, and Hans Wills, and Senators Ken Rosenboom and Sherilyn Westrich, the group said they will not attend a November 28th dinner at the college. They said their absence is intended to express their disappointment in a statement made by the college in the wake of a walkout led by students to show support for Palestine and condemn Israel's actions in the Israel-Gaza conflict. Grinnell College was unable to provide comment Wednesday. Grinnell students have held multiple protests in the month since fighting began, including a, quote, die-in, end quote, at a November 11th alumni dinner. The Students for Justice in Palestine at Grinnell College have called for President Ann Harris and the university to announce support for a ceasefire. But according to a social media post from the group, Harris said in an email that she can't and won't make public statements that will, quote, divide the community. The letter said the lawmakers were alarmed at protests occurring at universities across the U.S. and said they were disappointed to see a similar walkout at Grinnell College. A campus-wide message from Harris, posted November 1st, called for the campus community to stay informed about the conflict, look out for each other, reach out for support when needed, be aware of discrimination, and report harassment when necessary. Quote, we are here now at Grinnell College, all of us doing the very best we can to comprehend world events and to contribute to relief from suffering and to the hope for peace, Harris said in a statement. That vital work begins among us and radiates outwards, end quote. The legislators were concerned with another part of the message, which said instances of anti-Semitic and Islamophobic harassment are on the rise on college campuses, and the college denounces anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. The lawmaker said that statement equates to two forms of discrimination. While the students were exercising their First Amendment right to free speech and assembly, the letter said, the representatives were hopeful that the college administration would respond with, quote, truth instead of tepid, middle-of-the-road platitudes, end quote. Quote, that message fell far short of the clear and unmistakable moral clarity needed in this moment, the letter said. Just as there was no moral equivalence during the Holocaust, there is no moral equivalence to the genocidal attacks on October 7th, 2023.
2023. Pro-Palestine protests have also been held on the University of Iowa campus, where school administration have issued no statements on the conflict. You are listening to the reading of the Iowa Capital Dispatch for November 17, 2023, on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now let's continue with this week's stories. Election 2024, Government and Politics, Capital Clicks, Brown and Black Forums of America to Announce Details on Iowa GOP Presidential Forum, by Robin Opsel, November 15, 2023. The Brown and Black Forums of America, which won an Emmy with Vice News for Graphic Design and Art Direction in 2021, will hold a press conference Thursday in downtown Des Moines to share the date, time, and location of the upcoming presidential forum. The group billed itself as the nation's, quote, oldest minority issues platform, end quote, having hosted eight presidential forums since 1976, according to the organization's website, with a focus on discussing issues that matter most to communities of color. Co-founder Wayne Ford said the nonpartisan group is ready to welcome Republican presidential hopefuls to discuss their positions on issues that impact minority communities across the country. The 2024 forum will be the first time the organization hosts Republican presidential candidates. The group had plans to hold a forum with GOP presidential candidates during the 2016 nominating cycle, but the event was canceled due to, quote, unresolved scheduling conflicts, end quote. In previous nominating cycles, the event has been the last forum for presidential candidates before the nominating process began with the Iowa caucuses. But Ford said that Iowans could not predict the changes that have taken place since their last event. The Democratic National Committee booted Iowa from its first in the nation position, moving to kick off with the South Carolina primary, followed by New Hampshire, Nevada, Georgia, and Michigan. Iowa Democrats will release caucus results on Super Tuesday. The National Republican Party has stuck to the traditional nominating calendar, starting with the Iowa Republican caucuses on January 15, 2024. Ford said that regardless of Democrats' calendar changes, Iowa is still beginning the Republican presidential nominating process, and that the forum is an important way to ensure candidates are focused on issues that impact Black and Brown Americans. Quote, we're very happy that we can keep the tradition of being first in the nation and just being part of that, Ford said. The discussion will be framed around five topics, according to the news release. Criminal justice, immigration, education, economic development, and health. Iowa Republican Party Chair Jeff Kaufman said Republicans are ready to share their policy ideas and plans at the forum. Quote, more dialogue is always a good thing in the political process. Person-to-person discussion is, in fact, what makes the Iowa caucus so important to our presidential nominating process, Kaufman said in a statement. Republicans are especially keen to engage in conversations with groups such as the Brown and Black Forums of America about how bold leadership and ideas can benefit all Americans regardless of race. Criminal Justice and Policing Capital Clicks Civil Trial and Police Shooting Death, now set for January 2025 by Clark Kaufman, November 15, 2023. A trial date has been scheduled in a civil case involving the death of Brent Boggs, who was killed by Waterloo Police during a 2021 traffic stop. The civil trial is scheduled to begin January 27, 2025, with Chief U.S. District Court Judge Leonard T. Strand presiding. 
Boggs family is suing the city of Waterloo in U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Iowa, claiming wrongful death and excessive force. The city and the individual police officers named in the lawsuit have denied any wrongdoing. In recent court filings, the city of Waterloo asked that the words, quote, homicide and, quote, murder be stricken from the family's lawsuits, arguing the words were, quote, immaterial, impertinent, or scandalous, end quote. Attorneys for the family objected, telling the court, quote, the only scandalous part of this dispute is that an Iowa law enforcement officer literally got away with murder, not that plaintiffs are accurately pointing this out, end quote. U.S. Magistrate Judge Mark Roberts ruled recently in the city's favor, striking from the position the reference to, quote, murder, which he noted is a criminal offense that has not been charged. And any reference to prosecutors' alleged reluctance to pursue charges against police officers, ruling that the assertion is irrelevant to the wrongful death claim. Roberts ruled in favor of the family, however, on the use of the word, quote, homicide, to describe Boggs' death, noting that it appeared to be a, quote, readily verifiable fact, end quote. Boggs, 41, was killed shortly after a Waterloo police officer attempted to pull him over in the early hours on November 16, 2021. Boggs stopped and talked to the officer who initiated the stop, but then drove away towards his home with the officer in pursuit. Eventually, seven other police officers responded to the incident. Boggs was eventually stopped in an alley where officers deployed stop sticks on the pavement in front of his truck and a police car pulled in behind Boggs. The lawsuit alleges that body camera footage shows Boggs telling police that he had, quote, mental health issues. About that same time, Officer Nick Weber allegedly entered the alley, driving toward the front of Boggs' truck and over the stop sticks deployed by his fellow officers. Boggs then pulled forward and the two vehicles collided at a low rate of speed, according to the lawsuit. Waterloo Police Officer Kenneth Schaff, standing near the passenger side of Boggs' truck, then fired five rounds into the vehicle, with four of the bullets striking Boggs. At the time, the police officers who had been conversing with Boggs were standing near the driver's side of the truck and were in Schaff's line of fire, according to the lawsuit. Body camera footage allegedly shows Boggs getting out of his truck saying, quote, Dude, I'm unarmed, end quote, and then collapsing to the ground. Ag and Environment Carbon Pipeline Pipeline opponents urge farmers to request corn checkoff refunds. By Jared Strong, November 15, 2023 Iowa farmers should request refunds of the penny-per-bushel fee they pay for their sold corn to protest the Iowa Corn Growers Association's support of carbon dioxide pipelines, according to some pipeline opponents. That, quote, corn checkoff, end quote, fee generates more than $20 million each year for the Iowa Corn Promotion Board, which has a contract with the association for its work to strengthen markets for corn and promote the industry to the public. Most of the revenue from the fee goes to the association. The board was established by state law and collection of the fee is automatic, but farmers can request a refund. In the board's fiscal year 2022, which ended in August that year, fee collections totaled nearly $25 million, according to the board's most recent state audit. Farmers requested about $2.3 million in refunds, which was roughly similar to previous years. Quote, we want to let them know that we don't like what they're promoting said Kathy Stockdale, who anticipates a checkoff refund of about $700 for the corn produced by her Hardin County farm. That land lies in the path of Summit Carbon Solutions' proposed pipeline and was in the path of another proposal by Navigator CO2, which has abandoned its project. 
Stockdale was incensed by the association's support of the carbon dioxide pipelines and wants other farmers to request refunds to show their disdain for that support. Quote, if enough people would do it, it would make an impact, she said. A spokesperson for the Iowa Corn Growers Association did not respond to a request to comment for this article. The corn checkoff is often billed as a cheap investment for farmers to help increase their profits. Earlier this year, a plan by some state lawmakers to route some of that money into the state's Grain Indemnity Fund drew fierce resistance and ultimately failed. The association announced its support for the pipeline projects last year because of their potential to boost the long-term viability of ethanol plants in Iowa. More than half the state's corn is used to produce ethanol. Summit wants to build a pipeline system in five states to transport car captured carbon dioxide from ethanol plants to North Dakota for underground sequestration. It plans to own and operate the capture equipment, which would make it eligible for generous federal tax credits for sequestering carbon. The ethanol plants would also be eligible for tax credits for producing low-carbon fuels and would be able to sell the ethanol in new markets. Summit has said its project will buttress corn prices and benefit farmers. It has obtained land easements for about three-quarters of its route in Iowa and seeks eminent domain for the rest. Opponents of the proposal say eminent domain is inappropriate for the project because it doesn't serve a public benefit, but rather enriches the company's wealthy investors. Landowners who are subject to the company's eminent domain request worry about damage to their farmland and underground tiling and about the safety threat a pipeline breach poses to people and animals. Kim Junker, whose farm in Butler County was in the path of Navigator's proposal, said she is requesting a checkoff refund and, quote, I highly recommend other farmers do it too. It sends a clear message. She has been a vocal opponent of the pipeline projects and worries that Summit might expand its system into her area of the state to link with ethanol plants that were part of Navigator's proposal. Quote, we've got to be vigilant, Junker said. We've got to keep fighting and doing what we've been doing to make sure we stop Summit too. Summit's evidentiary hearing with the Iowa Utilities Board concluded last week. The board is expected to make a decision about its hazardous liquid pipeline permit next year. Uncategorized. Iowa lawyer reprimanded for failing to show up for clients' hearings. Lawyer was previously cited for explicit conversations with jail inmate. By Clark Kaufman, November 15, 2023. An Iowa City attorney who repeatedly failed to show up for clients' parole revocation hearings has been sanctioned by the state. According to court records, two parole judges have complained to the Iowa Supreme Court Attorney Disciplinary Board that attorney Thomas Rodriguez of Iowa City has failed to appear for hearings involving multiple clients after the court appointed him their legal representative. The complaint stated that Rodriguez failed to appear for clients' parole revocation hearings and failed to return phone calls and emails from parole officers. Quote, His clients are stating that he is not contacting them in jail while they are awaiting hearings, the judges alleged. The Board of Parole has no authority to remove him and appoint another attorney. Our orders direct him to either appear and represent his clients or file a motion to withdraw from the court. He does neither. His clients are then left with the option to continue waiting in jail or proceed without their court-appointed attorney. The judges explained that parole revocation hearings are usually scheduled for the same day and time each week, are brief, and are handled by phone, making it easy for lawyers to call in and appear on behalf of their client without traveling to the jail. 
In response to the Attorney Disciplinary's Board inquiries, Rodriguez allegedly said he, quote, had other stuff to worry about besides the hearings, end quote. In a separate complaint, a former client alleged that Rodriguez failed to communicate with him when he faced criminal charges of harassment and burglary, and also failed to inform him of a court hearing, quote, on several occasions, Mr. Rodriguez just didn't show up for court, and on other occasions, he was hours late, the client alleged. Taken together, the board ruled, the two cases indicate something beyond a private admonition is warranted, and it publicly reprimanded Rodriguez for violating the Iowa Rules of Professional Conduct. Rodriguez is currently a staff attorney with the Lynn County Advocate, which provides services to clients the firm is court-appointed to represent. He declined to comment on the disciplinary case. In November 2020, the board publicly reprimanded Rodriguez for misusing his status at the time as a public defender to engage in intimate conversations with a jail inmate. According to the board, Rodriguez's girlfriend was arrested in October 2019 on drug and theft charges while pregnant with Rodriguez's child. According to the board, Rodriguez and the woman had, quote, explicit conversations while the woman was detained in the Polk County Jail including discussions about the occasion on which their child was conceived. The board subsequently reviewed many recorded conversations between the two, as well as 800 text messages. Although attorneys are entitled to have confidential conversations with their clients in jail, that level of privacy does not extend to attorneys who are having personal conversations with inmates they don't represent. The board said Rodriguez had set up two accounts at the Polk County Jail to converse with the woman, including one that was designated as her attorney's account. The board says that after the woman was arrested, Rodriguez entered an appearance in court on her behalf, but withdrew the next day on the advice of his boss. However, he allegedly continued to converse with the woman as if he was her attorney, using his email login from the state public defender's office. The board found that Rodriguez made false statements about the nature of his conversations with his girlfriend and said that based on his extensive experience, he, quote, simply should have known better. In recent weeks, the attorney's disciplinary board acted in several other cases involving Iowa-licensed lawyers. Layla Louisa Hale, who also practices in the state of Nevada, was publicly reprimanded by the board. In August, the state bar of Nevada reprimanded Hale for conflicts of interest involving clients and a man with whom she shared a personal relationship. The bar alleged that Hale represented two clients in separate personal injury cases and that she employed Dr. Jeffrey Gross as a medical expert in the cases. Gross charged the two clients a total of $29,885 for those services. According to the bar, Hale was, quote, in a long-term relationship with Dr. Gross, end quote, at the time, and failed to inform her clients of that fact. Hale's law firm subsequently filed liens against the money that her clients had collected through their lawsuits, and the liens included fees for Dr. Gross's services. At one point, Hale allegedly paid Gross's fees using trust account funds in a manner that put other clients' money at risk. The Nevada Bar reprimanded Hale and directed her to, quote, reflect upon, end quote, her actions. The recent Iowa reprimand is based on the actions of the Nevada Bar. Ronald Langford, a Des Moines attorney, was publicly reprimanded for his handling of client funds and failure to properly monitor and manage client trust accounts. Langford had argued that he always maintained enough money in his business accounts to cover any shortages in client accounts. The board stated that Langford, quote, also argued that his clients' demands take so much of his focus that he does not have time to steal from them, end quote, and added that, quote, the board found these statements troubling, end quote.
The board said it was clear that Langford, quote, still failed to appreciate and understand the rules relating to trust accounts and how he was in violation of those rules. Jeremy Tomlinson, a Des Moines attorney, was reprimanded for conduct following the suspension of his law license in 2022. According to the board, Tomlinson's license was suspended on June 6, 2022, for failure to cooperate with an audit conducted by the Client Security Commission. A few weeks later, Tomlinson allegedly filed with the court a motion for a deadline extension in a case. Tomlinson's license was reinstated on July 17, 2022, but he allegedly failed to respond to the board's inquiries about practicing law while his license was suspended. That resulted in a second suspension in March 2023. The recent reprimand is for the unauthorized practice of law and for violating rules related to client communication and disciplinary matters. Education. DMAC breaks ground on new transportation institute facilities by Brooklyn Drazy, November 15, 2023. Des Moines Area Community College has broken ground on its new transportation institute facilities, which will allow the program to double its class size and offer more specialized training. Construction crews were taken advantage of the warm weather Tuesday to begin the first steps of the project as DMAC President Rob Denson made his announcement at a press conference. He thanked the guests, donors, and DMAC leaders for their work in helping the college offer more training opportunities for truck drivers to be able to enter the job market. Quote, those jobs are out there, Denson said. I serve on the Iowa Department of Transportation Autonomous Trucking Committee talking about when trucks will run themselves, but there's always going to need to be a driver, so there's always going to be a need for what we do. Once construction is complete, the Institute, located on the north side of Des Moines, will have twice the number of concourses for driver training and a new educational facility. Denson said the project should wrap up in late 2024 or early 2025. As previously reported by the Iowa Capital Dispatch, Denson said in September that the institution's current building is old and has issues with leaks and mold, hence the need for a new one. It will be torn down when students are able to move into the new building. Around half of the site's 12-acre paved area is unusable for training concourses and needs to be replaced, and water retention areas will need to be added in. DMAC Director of Industry and Technology, Megan Ellsworth, said the renovations will expand the number of usable driving ranges from 3 to 6 and allow the college to up its capacity from 250 to 500 students. The new building will hold classrooms, garage spaces, and areas for individual and group study. The site plan also includes parking for students and visitors, new entrances and exits, and an outdoor canopy. The expanded space will also allow DMAC to partner with companies to train employees and offer more diversified training for different types of licenses. Quote, it just is going to afford us the ability to actually have the space to spread out and to be able to offer different and unique training offerings for the public as well, Ellsworth said. Almost one-third of the $9 million project has been funded by grants and gifts, including a $1 million grant from the Future Ready Iowa. U.S. Representative Zach Nunn is working on securing $1 million in congressional appropriations for the updates as well, Denson said. Businessman and DMAC graduate Dennis Albaugh gave a $1 million lead gift to the project, and Denson announced at the conference that the new building will be named the Albaugh Education Center. Gage Kent, CEO of the Kent Corporation, 
donated $500,000 to the project, and former Bar None trucking owners Jane and Bob Sturgeon gave $50,000. Denson said the college has sent a number of funding requests out to help pay for the rest of the project, with positive responses expected, but DMAC has the funds to complete it itself if needed. Quote, I couldn't be happier. Truck drivers are something we need, and I don't think you'll ever be able to take online classes to learn how to drive a truck, Albaugh said. This facility is needed, and I'm very proud to have my name on a part of it. DC Bureau. We hours U.S. Senate drama. Ernst and colleagues battle Tuberville blockade. By Ashley Murray, November 16th, 2023. Washington. After a marathon day and late-night vote to avert a Thanksgiving government shutdown, four U.S. Senate Republicans held the floor until the wee hours Thursday, urging their Alabama colleague to lift his months-long objections to hundreds of U.S. military nominations. Senators Joni Ernst of Iowa, Dan Sullivan of Alaska, Todd Young of Indiana, and Lindsey Graham of South Carolina asked for unanimous consent on two stalled nominees and spoke on the matter until nearly 4 a.m. Republican Mike Lee of Utah objected to both on behalf of GOP Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, speaking at length in defense of the minority party's right to block nominations as leverage and about his own opposition to the Pentagon's abortion policy that Tuberville is protesting. Lee's objections meant the nominations remained stalled. This was the second time Tuberville's Republican colleagues brought nominees to the floor to challenge the Alabama senator's tactic showing how frustration has bubbled to the surface in his own party. Pentagon officials warn that Tuberville's freeze on promotions is disrupting the military's chain of command. Until November 1st, only Democratic senators had asserted opposition on the floor. Tuberville has objected to unanimous voice vote approval of military generals and flag officer promotions since early 2023. And now, Senate Republicans are on the defense against a Democrat-led resolution that could allow the chamber to hold roll-call votes on the nominees en masse, potentially saving weeks to months of precious Senate floor time. Prior to speaking out against Tuberville on the floor this month, Sullivan, the Alaska senator, joined him in collecting cloture petition signatures to bring top generals, including the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to the floor for successful votes. But Sullivan, a colonel in the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve, said Thursday that he and fellow GOP lawmakers who are now protesting Tuberville's strategy have, quote, received hundreds of text messages, emails from military families saying, subquote, thank you for having our back. Somebody has our back, end quote. Quote, so we told them we're going to do that as we're moving into Thanksgiving. My colleagues and I, we're going to keep our word to our military, end quote. Quote, during the last two weeks, we've all worked hard together. Senator Tuberville is here. Senator Lee's on the floor. We're all working hard, trying to resolve this. We have ideas, ellipses, but the backlog grows. Right now, when the Armed Services Committee reports out the next batch of military nominees, it will be 450, 1, 2, 3, and 4-star generals. The latest figures from the Pentagon state 359 nominees are stalled and the list could grow to between 650 and 850 by the year's end if Tuberville continues his blockade. Quote, This is a huge readiness challenge and a huge moral challenge, Sullivan said. Tuberville was present at times, but did not speak on the floor during the nearly four-hour period. Ernst, quote, I am pro-military and pro-life. 
Ernst, the Iowa senator, said Thursday morning she, quote, led on the effort to overturn this Biden administration policy, end quote. Ernst is a retired lieutenant colonel in the Iowa Army National Guard. She twice attempted, but failed to insert language into this year's annual defense authorization bill to ban the Pentagon's recent abortion policy. Quote, so again, I am pro-military and pro-life, she said. I also do not relish that I'm standing on the floor this morning as we try to bring these nominations forward. But I understand the national security risks that are out there and the detriment to readiness as we continue to hold over 450 of the finest men and women that have served their nation honorably under the flag of our nation and our uniform, end quote. Quote, so I will go through one by one. I have a binder full of nominees, and I do hope our colleague from Alabama will allow us to bring them up one by one for a voice vote, end quote. Graham suggested a legal strategy against the Biden administration as a way for Tuberville to change course and smooth out the military's chain of command this year. Quote, one way you right a wrong in America, if you think a law is broken, you actually bring a lawsuit. And I think we found a way, talking to attorney Jay Sekulow, to bring a lawsuit challenging the defense policy of President Biden using taxpayer dollars to pay for transportation costs from DOD funds to perform abortions, Graham said. Sekulow is chief counsel of the Christian-based American Center for Law and Justice and specializes in religious liberty and anti-abortion litigation, according to his website. The Biden administration and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin maintained the policy as legal, and the Department of Justice in 2022 delivered an opinion concluding the policy does not violate the Hyde Amendment. The policy, announced in February, grants service members time off and travel reimbursement when seeking an abortion in states where it remains unrestricted. The Pentagon policy was authorized after last year's landmark Supreme Court ruling. Roughly 80,000 active-duty female service members are stationed in states where legislatures enact full or partial bans, according to Rand. Young, the Iowa senator, asked to take up and confirm by unanimous consent two nominees Thursday morning, Captain Curtis A. Mole to rise to Rear Admiral of the Navy, and Captain Thomas J. Dickinson also for promotion to Rear Admiral. Lee objected both times. Quote, there are now tens, tens of Americans watching us on C-SPAN too, captivated, I know, by the presentation this morning, Young said. I think they're perhaps divided. Some may look upon these proceedings and think what a functional United States Senate. Every voice must be heard. Every voice must be heard. Every perspective must be delivered. Every phrase must be uttered. Others will say, perhaps it's dysfunctional. Perhaps there's an effort to obfuscate. I don't know what they'll conclude. But I do know that I intend to continue reading through these brave patriots, class of 1995, U.S. Naval Academy graduates, who have been nominated to the grade of Rear Admiral Lower Half, and we are very proud of them, Young said at roughly 1.30 a.m. Thursday. Young was among the U.S. Naval Academy's 1995 graduating class. He, Ernst, and Sullivan proceeded to read biographies of numerous nominees until just after 3.30 a.m., Lee spoke for several minutes twice throughout the morning, saying that Tuberville's strategy is, quote, not ideal. Quote, I want to be clear. The particular strategy deployed here is not mine. It's that of a dear friend and colleague who is here with me tonight. It's not my strategy. It is his. And because it's his, then I'm here to defend him in that, notwithstanding the fact that's not the particular tactic that I would have chosen. He's chosen a tactic that is legitimate, and he has every right to deploy under the rules of the Senate rules that go back nearly two and a half centuries, in order to protect the individual rights of each senator, Lee said. 
Lee said the blame is not on Tuberville, but rather on President Joe Biden, and said he, quote, should be watching this because this is compelling television, end quote, and that he should suspend the, quote, godless, lawless abortion travel policy. And that does it for today's reading of the Iowa Capital Dispatch for November 17th, 2023. I'm your reader, Stephen Gaisher. You can access the recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thanks for listening.